Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. The Thorn in the Nest, Episode 10. Time passed on. A year, two years, rolled away. Settlers had continued to move into the town and adjacent country, and Kenneth's practice had grown with the growth of the population. This was perhaps one reason why there had been a great falling off in the frequency of his visits, other than professional, at Major Lamar's. It was at all events the excuse he gave for that and for absenting himself from nearly all the pleasure parties and merry-makings of the young people. Genial and pleasant in his relations with old and young, he yet was no ladies' man. Seldom paid attention to any of the fair sex except in the way of his calling. He had no time, he said, but always found abundance of it to bestow upon the sick and suffering. His whole heart and soul were in his work. Some silly people began to call him an old bachelor, though he was still under thirty, and far from old-looking. Dale also was still single, and the two were warm friends as ever. Godfrey was attentive to business, but unlike Kenneth, indulged a great fondness for ladies' society, and generally made one in every little social gathering and pleasure excursion, whether it were a moonlight row on river or creek, a picnic, or expedition in search of nuts or wild fruits, a visit to a sugar camp in the spring, or a gallop on horseback at almost any time of year. He was very friendly at Major Lamar's house, and never happier than when he could secure Miss Nell as his special partner in whatever festivity was going on. She liked Dell, for he was gallant, courteous, well-informed, and a good talker of either sense or nonsense, but she took care not to receive too much attention from him or to encourage hopes she never meant should be realized. She was developing into a noble, lovable woman, fair and comely in more than ordinary degree. She had a fine form, a queenly carriage, and Kenneth's eyes often followed her with a wistful, longing look as she passed, either riding or walking. Yet he stood quietly aside and left it to his fellows to strive for the prize he coveted above all other earthly good. That strange, mysterious burden still rested on him, but was born with a brave, cheerful resignation that was heroic. There were times of deep depression, of bitter anguish of soul, of fierce conflict with himself, when the trial seemed more than mortal strength could bear. But these came at rare intervals, and faith and grace ever triumphed in the end. Letters from home, where he had not visited since emigrating to Chillicothe, and his lonely journeys into the wilderness, of which he had made several in the interval we have passed over, seemed alike ever to bring him increased sadness of heart. Yet few but Dell knew this. Kenneth's mastery over himself, enabling him to put aside his private griefs and cares when in the company of others. Thus his heart was ever at leisure from itself, and ready to sympathize in the interests, the joys, and sorrows, or physical sufferings of those about him. As a natural consequence, there were many who cherished for him a very warm friendship. 
The Nashes had removed to a farm a mile or more from town. Mrs. Nash was still the same cheery, genial soul. She had shown herself on the journey to Ohio, and Nell Lamar, who had ever been a favorite with the good dame, loved to visit at the farmhouse, and would sometimes tarry there for a week or a fortnight, when conscious of not being needed at home. She and Mrs. Barber were both there one sultry summer day. Now expecting to make a prolonged stay, the other lady intending to return home in the cool of the evening. She had now two children, younger than Flora, and had brought all three with her. It was a great deal of trouble, she complained, in the old, whining, quarrelless tones. Children were such a care, always in the way, and making no end of trouble if you took them along, and if you left them at home you were worried to death lest something should happen to them. This was repeated again and again with slight variations, to her unwilling listeners would fain have stopped their ears to the doleful ditty, and Mrs. Nash, quite out of patience at length, exclaimed, Nancy, I should think you'd be afraid to fret so about your worry with the children, lest Providence should take them away. I don't deny that it is a good deal of work and care to nurse and provide for them, but they're worth it, at least mine are to me, and there's nothing worth having in this world that we don't have to pay for in one way or another. And for my part, I'm willing to pay for my pleasures and treasures, she added, clasping her babe fondly to her breast. The Nash family also had increased in numbers. Tom and Billy, now grown great hardy boys, were with their father in the field. The two little girls sat on the doorstep, each with a rag doll in her arms, which the busy mother had found time to make, and Miss Nell's skillful fingers had just finished dressing. The baby boy on the mother's knee was the last arrival, six months old, and the pet darling and the treasure of the entire household from father down to two-year-old sally you never did have any sympathy for me sarah whimpered mrs barber lifting the corner of her apron to her eyes i wasn't born with such spirits as you have and it ain't my fault that i wasn't and i don't believe i'm half as stout and strong as you are and it's just the same with the children yours are a great deal healthier than mine and that makes it easier for you in many, more ways than one you and Nash don't have the big doctor bills to pay that we have, and you don't get all worn out with nursing. Well, Nancy, returned her sister-in-law, maybe I'm not as sympathizing as I should be, but there is such a thing as cultivating good spirits and a habit of looking at the bright side, trusting in the Lord and being content with what he sends, and that has a good deal to do with health. Perhaps if your children had a cheerier mother, they'd have better spirits and better health. There it is. I'm always blamed for my misfortunes. That's just the way Dr. Clennon talks to me, and Barbara, too. Now, I think it's a burning shame, sobbed the abused woman. I'm sure I wish I was dead and done with it. And so I shall be one of these days, and then perhaps you and Tom will wish you'd treated me a little better. My brother Tom's a very good husband to you, remarked Mrs. Nash coolly, and I don't feel conscious smitten for any abuse I've given you either. It's Bible doctrine I've been urging on you. It bids us over and over again to be content, to be free from care, casting all on the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord, to be glad in Him, to rejoice always, to shout for joy. And well, we may knowing that life here is short, and no matter how many troubles we may have, they'll soon be done with, and we shall be forever with the Lord. That is, if we're His children... 
Here Nell broke in upon the conversation with a sudden exclamation. That cat is acting very strangely. And as she spoke, the animal came rushing in from an adjoining woodshed and dashed wildly about, gnashing its teeth furiously, its tongue hanging out and dripping with froth. Both women sprang up with a scream. It's mad! It's mad! It's frothing at the mouth! Mrs. Nash clutching her babe in a death-like grasp and springing toward the other children to save them. Mrs. Barber snatched her youngest from the floor while Nell caught up the next in age and sat in on top of a high old-fashioned bureau, at the same time calling to Flora who was outside to run, run, climb a tree or the fence. Then seizing a broom, she rushed at the cat and drove it under the bed. Oh, what'll we do? What will what'll we do? shrieked Mrs. Barber, the children screaming in chorus, Why didn't you drive it out of doors? You run out to yourself and take the children with you. I did the best I could, returned Nell, her voice trembling with agitation. You too, Mrs. Nash, save the children and I'll fight the cat. Where's your clothes line? Quick, quick. Oh, I see it. And snatching it from the nail where it hung in a trice, she had it opened out and a noose made in one end, then tearing off beds and bedclothes, tumbling them unceremoniously upon the floor, she mounted the bedstead, lifted a slat or two from the head underneath which the cat crouched, snarling, spitting, foaming, biting in a frightful manner. Nell shuddered and shrank back with a cry of terror as the infuriated animal made a spring at her, but gathering up all her courage, let down the noose and swung it slowly to and fro. A moment of terrified, almost despairing effort, followed by success, the noose was drawn tight. The rabid creature lay strangled and dead, and the brave young girl dropped into a in a dead faint upon the pile of bedding on the floor. The others had obeyed her behest and fled from the house, leaving her to battle single-handed with the enraged animal, while they filled the air with cries for help. A horseman came to at a swift gallop up the road, putting spurs to his steed as the sounds of distress greeted his ear. "'What is it?' he asked, drawing rain in from the house and springing from the saddle. "'Oh, Dr. Clendenin, there's a mad cat in the house, and Miss Nell's trying to kill it,' cried the two women and Flora in chorus. But the words were scarcely uttered before he had dashed in at the do open door. His heart leaped into his throat at sight of the prostrate form on the confused heap of bedding, the body of the strangled cat so near that the toe of her slipper touched it. "'Oh, my darling!' he exclaimed in low, moved tones as he sprang to her side. Then, in almost frantic haste, he searched for the marks of the creature's teeth on her hands and arms. There were none. He tore off her shoes and stockings, his hands trembling, his face pale with a terrible fear. "'Thank God!' he said at last, drawing a long breath of relief. He knelt down, loosened her dress, laid her more comfortably, her head lower doing all with exceeding tenderness, and turning to Mrs. Nash, who had ventured in after him, leaving her little ones in Mrs. Barber's care, said huskily, Some cold water. Quick, quick, she has fainted. Oh, doctor, is she hurt? asked the woman in tremulous tones, as she hastily handed him a gourd filled with water from the well bucket. He did not answer for a moment. He was sprinkling the water upon the steel white face, his own nearly as collarless. Would she never revive? Those sweet eyes never open again? Ah, the lips begin to quiver. A faint tinge of rose stole into the fair, softly rounded cheek. I hope not, he said with an effort. It was the fright, probably. A fan, please? 
Mrs. Nash brought one and gave it in silence. Nell's eyes opened wide, gazing full into his. The faint tinge on her cheek deepened instantly to crimson as, starting up in confusion, she hastily stammered out some incoherent words and burst into tears. "'Lie still for a little, Nell,' Kenneth said gently, force, forcing her back. "'Never were tones more musical with tenderness. "'Never had I spoken a plainer language, "'and the girl's heart thrilled with a new, ecstatic joy. "'For years her hard but determined task "'had been to school it to indifference, "'but now, now she might let it have its way. "'He, so noble, so good, would never deceive her, "'never wrong her. "'Oh, Nell, you are not hurt?' "'Not bitten?' exclaimed Mrs. Nash, almost imploringly. "'Hurt? Bitten?' repeated Nell in a half-bewildered way. Then, as her eye fell upon the dead cat, and the whole scene came back to her with a rush. "'No, no,' she said, shuddering and hiding her face in her hands. "'It sprang at me, but missed, and fell back on the floor. "'And at last it ran its head into the noose, jerked away, and strangled, and, laughing hysterically, "'I don't know what happened after that.' Mrs. Nash knelt down by her side and began putting on her stockings and shoes. The doctor pulled them off to see if you'd got a bite there, she explained. Oh, I'll never cease to thank the Lord that you escaped. I feel as if I've been a mean coward to run off and leave you to fight the mad thing all alone. But it wasn't myself I was thinking of, but the children. I know it, murmured Nell, and I told you to go. Kenneth had moved away to the farther side of the room. His face, which was turned from them, was full of remorseful anguish. Alas, what had he done? Won this dear heart that he dare not claim as his own? Oh, he had thought the grief, the pain, the loss, all his own. But it was not so. She too must suffer, and he could not save her from it. Though for that he would freely lay down his life. Is it dead? Have you killed it? queried Miss Barber, Tim Ursling, peering in at the open door. Yes, answered Mrs. Nash shortly and stepping in, followed by the frightened but curious children. Mrs. Barber dropped into a chair. Oh, she cried, it's just awful. I'm nearly dead. Was most scared out o' my wits and shan't get over it for a month. Then catching sight of the dead cat, ugh! the horrid thing. Why don't you take it away, some of you? I feel ready to faint at the very sight of it. Doctor, you'll have to do something for me. There is nothing I can do for you, Mrs. Barber, he said coldly. You must help yourself by determined self-control. After leaving Miss Lamar to face the living, furious animal alone, you may well bear the sight of it lying dead with all the rest of us here to share the danger if there be any. There it is, just as usual, she sobbed. I'm always blamed, no matter what happens. I had my children to think of. Never mind, said Nell, sitting up. It's all over, and nobody hurt. Nobody hurt, was the indignant rejoinder. Maybe you ain't, but I am. I've got an awful headache with the fright. Feels if I should just die this minute. A loud hello from the road without stopped the torrent of words for a space. Is Dr. Clennanon here? shouted a man on horseback, reining in at the gate. Kenneth stepped quickly to the door. What is it? he asked. You're wanted in the greatest kind of a hurry, doctor, over there in the edge of the woods, where they're felling trees, man crushed, not killed, but bad hurt. Very. Kenneth was in the saddle before the sentence was finished, and the two galloped rapidly away. People oughtn't to be so careless, commented Mrs. Barber as they all gathered about the door, watching the horsemen till they disappeared in a cloud of dust. Why don't they get out of the way when the tree's going to fall? How quick the doctor went off. He's 
ready enough to help a man, but wouldn't do anything for poor me. He told you what to do for yourself, said her sister-in-law, in a mixture of weariness and contempt in her tones. As if I could, there never was anybody that got so little sympathy as I do, she fretted, turning from the door and dropping into her chair again. But I'll have another doctor. I'll send for Dr. Buell. Dr. Walter Buell? Dr. Walter Gruel, they call him, laughed Flora, because he don't won't let eat let him have anything hardly to eat. He'll starve you, mother. Be quiet, Flora, was the angry rejoinder. I'm not going to have you laughing at me. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, poor unfortunate creature that I am, and your mother too. To think that I should have happened here today of all days, when I don't stir from home once in a month. But that cat wouldn't have gone mad if I hadn't been here. But her complaining fell upon inattentive ears. Mrs. Nash was busy ridding the house of the dead carcass and setting things in order, and Nell's thoughts were full of the new joy that had come to her and of questionings as to when and where she should again meet him who had possessed himself of her heart's best affection. Would he return that evening? Verily, she believed he would. But no, he did not. And when she went home the following day, Claire greeted her with the news that Dr. Clendenin had gone east. He had been suddenly summoned to Glen Forest by a letter. Someone was very ill, and as a paragua was just leaving for Cincinnati, he had taken passage and gone down the river in it. Nell's cheek paled a trifle, and her eyes looked with mute questioning into those of her sister. He left goodbye for you, said Claire, and that was all, all. The girl's heart seemed to stand still with pain. What could it mean? Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic. <laughs>